certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. It's been confirmed in court today. Hairs found on Kira Glennon's body do not belong to Bradley Edwards. Day 49, thanks for joining us. You're with Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Emily Morton. Um, Tim, this was very interesting. So these hairs don't belong to the accused, yet they also don't belong to Kira. Correct, Nat. Um, this was evidence that was brought through, again, Carol Evans from FSS, and it was brought through her because these hairs, and there were many, many of them, were part of a tranche of evidence that was sent over to the UK after the crucial fingernails that we, we all know about and have talked about so much. Uh, this was a priority for the police, we found out today, rather than the fingernails. They they had a case conference um, over s- several days, and, and, and in fact, these uh, exhibits came to the UK over several years, and uh, it was it was his that were that were of the most interest to the police, um, and the testing done on them over the years proved something but not what they were hoping to prove they it, it proved as you said that obviously kira's hairs were amongst them but there were uh, numerous other people were identified through this dna mitochondrial dna testing nine others in fact miss evans said on the stand today that she when she looked at that table again today she said that showed her that nine other people um, had contributed to those hair samples. And then what we learned through cross-examination was Mr Edwards had given a hair sample to the police after his arrest and that was used to test against all these hairs and in 2019 a report was produced which categorically stated that none of those hairs belonged to him and that was through visual inspection and through DNA inspection. So where those other hairs came from we can only speculate but we can also remember going way back to during the post-mortem um, part of the trial Mr Jovic asked pretty much every uh, witness about um, the drop sheets which is two of the exhibits where these hairs have come from the drop sheet at the crime scene and, a, and another sheet placed down during the post-mortem and he would, if you remember back that far he asked various witnesses about the sheets, um, about how they walked around them, and also whether w- what they were wearing um, within the uh, the post-mortem. So we bring all that together. We can deduce that what Mr. Jovic was getting at today when he asked those questions was, look, there's loads of hairs there, but none of them belong to my client. Yeah, and I think with... Um, with all of these hairs, you know, you also might think to yourself, well, some of these hairs, would they have come off the clothing of Kira's clothing or not? Yes, so so some of them were. There were four different exhibits that they came from. The two drop sheets that I just mentioned, uh, Kira's bra that she was wearing on the night she was murdered and also her underwear. So that's where all these various hairs were um, gathered from, placed into in, onto slides, and then uh, off to the UK for for this specialist 
testing and uh, and so that's where they were that's a, that's where they were found but where they've come from and most pertinently who they've come from we we don't know but we know one person they haven't come from and that's Mr Edwards I think one of the things that Carol Evans also said on the sand I think when re-examination by Ms Barbagello is that with with those hair samples you couldn't even tell if they're male or female ah. So that was the other thing. So she sort of, you know, made that point as well. So there were hairs, but they just, you know, they were about they were able to match up Kira's hairs, but then all the other hairs that they found, they couldn't tell you if it was male or female. Um, and that was sort of one of the other things they were sort of quick, uh, sort of quick to point out as well. Yeah. Because we got another DNA lesson that today. Yeah. Oh, Brendan, Brendan was actually in court today. I oh. can report that he did some of his students um, and was uh, looking, um, well, a lot less baffled than I was. But we got a lesson today from Ms Evans on mitochondrial DNA, which Brendan's touched on before, which is the uh, process that they use when they're testing hairs. And in brief, it means that um, if you've got a, a root of the hair, that's where the actual DNA is. And then the closer to the root that you get into the hair, that's the, the, the more likely that you're going to find mitochondrial DNA. But if you get right to the tip of the hair, you're very unlikely to find it. Um, and as 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 Ins just said, um, the testing that was done, um, they could they they got a sample that was strong enough to show DNA and to show that it wasn't Mr. Edwards's DNA, but it wasn't. Um, in some cases, it wasn't as strong enough to exactly show even the gender, let alone the uh, identity. So Carol Evans um, was across testing of uh, fingernail samples, of hair samples, and she also tested the Karakata rate kit swabs. Just before the lunch break, they brought up the testing of these swabs, which FSS was asked to do after they had made the match between the intimate swabs from the Karakata rate victim and the fingernail, the trace DNA found on Kirigalen's fingernail. So um, we heard today that... Miss Evans was asked to do a YSTR profile test, which I think detects just the like test for male DNA in April in 2009 uh, on those intimate swabs. And just as we were about to hear from it, Paul Jovich, Mr Edwards' lawyer, basically objected to this saying like, well, why do we need to have this test? Because there was no YSTR test done on those fingernail samples. And there was a bit of a argy-bargy between the, the defence and prosecution about whether or not, you know, this should go ahead. But basically the prosecution was just saying, she just brought up the fact, well, we don't know where the defence is going with any of their DNA um, defence. So we're, we're basically trying to cover all our bases is kind of what she was saying. So she's saying that this YSTR test was done to show that it was Mr Edwards' DNA and it's a different test to the other test, to the LCN test. And it to get, I, I don't want to. From my understanding from today, is it, it shows different loci, which is different to the ones that come up in the LCN test. So that's why she wanted to do that, to just as another piece of material to say this is him. So this is it. But then Mr. Jovic was saying, well, we don't need that because, well, you know, there's no other test to compare it to. But then it sort of was pointed out later on by Justice Hall was like, well. Yes, Mr. Edwards has pleaded guilty to the rape of um, the 17-year-old at Karakata Cemetery, but what hasn't been admitted is the facts of that rape, or the facts of that case. So one of those facts would be that it was his DNA. But then, I mean, it was just interesting to hear that they, you know, they were going back and forth, and at the end of the day, Miss Barbagello was just like, "Well, 
this is why we're doing this. And in the end, Justice Hall let it go through and sort of asked Mr Jovic after Ms Gallo basically raised her um, point if he was going to continue with his objection and he said no. So did you get the sense that um, Carmel Barbagallo was uh, frustrated, getting frustrated with the objection? I mean, I guess at the end of the day, um, the prosecution have to show all their cards, don't they? And what she's saying is the defence aren't showing any. Mm, And they don't have to. And that's the point that we've discussed with Damien on various occasions. But it was interesting that that Ms Barbagallo sort of let out a little of her... um, the, the way she's viewing the trial or the way she's approaching the trial in that she actually said this is a guessing game I don't know what the, like 11 weeks in I don't and still don't know what Mr. Jovic's or Mr. Edwards's defence to this DNA um, evidence is so I'm just putting it all out there and I have to because and she quite frankly said I don't want to get to a portion in the trial later when I haven't raised something that I could have um, and I won't be able to because it's too late. So, um, and listeners might find that really strange that, you know, so, uh, nearly 50 days here on day 50 tomorrow, that Miss Barbara Gallo still doesn't know exactly what the evidence, <laughs> the DNA defense is. But that's, that's the way a criminal trial in our jurisdiction and many others is run. That uh, the prosecution have to put all their cards on the table and, uh, and right up until the end of the, their case, they don't necessarily know what the case against them is or, or what the defence is going to be. Yeah, I, I was talking to our producer, Kate Ryan, earlier and we were wondering whether people who are listening to the trial and following it are feeling like the defence are landing all these blows and wondering, you know, um, when the prosecution will sort of start to to hit harder or, or what have you. But that's, of course, later when, you know, they almost swap roles. Mm. Yes, a little bit, um, and there will be defence evidence. We know this. There will be expert evidence, particularly on fibres. Um, but what we still don't know, what we won't know right until uh, the prosecution case is closed, basically, is whether Mr Edwards is going to give evidence himself in person. He has the choice. He doesn't have to. Um, whether he will or not is is a is a question that we're all still pondering, um, and. Yes, Ms. Barbara Gallo yeah. will get to cross-examine. So she will then, yes, you're absolutely right. Now. She will then become the, the, the cross-examiner rather than the, the, the producer of the evidence. And that is where um, we might see a, a little bit of her um, uh, courtroom um, bite, which I have seen before. And it's, um, it, it can, be quite, um, can be quite fiery at times. So that will be, uh, yeah, another stage of the trial that, um, that, will, be, that, will, that will be very interesting. The other thing that we don't really know yet either is whether or not the defence are going to have their own DNA expert because it sort of came up in a couple of Fridays ago where there was a legal argument over something and I heard it and another reporter heard it and we were like, did Justice Hall say that he's not that the defence might not be calling their own DNA expert, that it was basically the, the defence would maybe is like a, almost a wait and see? So we, we're still not even clear as to if or or, you know, how much they're going to dispute of what they heard. And I'm assuming, and, and this is purely based on my own assumption, that maybe they're waiting until um, Dr Jonathan Whitaker, who is meant to be the LCN expert, actually gives his evidence about the LCN technique that was basically used to find this trace DNA of, of, a, of a male that prosecution says is Mr Edwards' DNA. So we're, maybe that, that's it, but we still don't really know at this stage. 
the other thing, Tim, I don't know if you notice or not, but I felt like today we sort of got a little bit more... I don't know whether everyone else is starting to get tired with everything. <laughs> no, it's been a grind, definitely yeah. been a grind. I, I, I had a, a, an off-air chat with uh, with Damien Cripps. I bumped into him outside court a couple of days ago, and um, he made the comment to me then that it, when you're in trials like this, it, it, you do get to points where it feels like a grind. Everyone is grinding. They just need to get through it. The late night sitting last night, which yeah. wasn't as late as we thought it was going to be, but it was still after nearly 8 o'clock by the time everyone left court. And you're back in today at 10. Uh, yeah, it, it, it did, today felt like a sort of... Br- a, a, <laughs> the day when you know people's tempers really started to get frayed, not not that they were angry with each other, don't, don't get me wrong, but it was a little bit fractious. Everyone was a little bit, you know, after Miss Evans had finished her evidence, another witness was called, and then very very quickly was told to stop, and it and it all felt a little bit fraught today. Um, and Justice Hall made some really complimentary comments of everyone at the right at the end of the day saying I know you're working so hard I know you it's every waking hour I understand where everyone's coming from everyone where everyone sits but it is my job to keep the trial running and that is what I am trying to do when I when I say these things was it a bit of a backhanded compliment there in that he was also saying, oh. I just need you to get on with it as well? Yeah. A little bit. So, uh, to put this in context, uh, when Miss Evans had finished her evidence, uh, Senior Sergeant George Payton was called, who's a very senior uh, forensic officer in West Australian Police, has been working in forensic... Uh, he basically said on the stand, I've been at Macro since the very start. Um, and he's still and he's and he's there today. Um, he began to give his, his evidence, and that went straight into some fibre evidence or sort of what related to fibre evidence. And and uh, uh, almost immediately, Mr. Jovic jumped to his feet and said, "I'm not ready for this. I I, I haven't got my fibre experts all lined up. I'm not really sure I'm going with this. So just you know, hold your horses. Um, you know, pull pull on the reins because I need to." You know, I need to ask the judge something, and that, and that, and so that's where this whole conversation began. Like Mr. Jovic saying, "Well, I'm not ready, so can we bring him back, or what can we do?" And then Mr. Ms. Barbara Gallo had her say, and so, "Well, look, it's it's really hard for these witnesses to give evidence in such a big trial under such scrutiny. They get nervous, they get you know tired. It's a big thing that they are being asked to do, so it's not fair if we ask him to do it once and then have to come back maybe weeks later." And that's when the judge stepped in and says. All right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to clear the court. I'm going to lock lock the door, (laughs) and I'm going to let you two have a have a conversation because you're both here. You're both adults. Let's get this done. And so that's what he did. He he, he kicked everyone out, um, Uh and um, let the lawyers to it. Um, But we were in a quite a privileged position because the live stream was still on, (laughs) not the the audio, but the video. I probably getting myself into trouble here, <laughs> yes, you may be. so we could see the conversation happening and it was very interesting it was very, the body language was interesting it wasn't combative if it looked more conciliatory look what can we do everyone was together in a little huddle in the middle of the court laptops were being exchanged and uh, you know so it was a little bit of a it was well supreme court judges in western australia are mediators as well as jurists that is part of their job they are they are there to get parties together particularly you know angry parties sometimes and to get justice and and trials 
moving again or back on track. And that's exactly what Justice Hall did this yeah. afternoon. He mediated. He said to both sides, look, I, know, I understand. I, I, I get where you're both coming from. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 10 minutes, 15 minutes, talk about it. And he, and he went. Yeah. <laughs> and to, and give like, to give um, listeners a bit of context as well, before that happened, it was literally 20, 25 minutes of them going back and forth about why Mr. Jovic was saying he wasn't ready to cross-examine, he wanted to defer the cross-examination. Miss Babagella going, saying, well, no, that's not fair. You didn't give me any notice. You've had a week, at least a week, knowing that this guy, that Sergeant Pat, Senior Sergeant Patton was going to be giving evidence. You could have had time then to tell me that you weren't going to be ready. And, like, he also... Earlier as well in the day, um, Mr. Jovic had flagged that they wanted more time to consider. So basically, um, his fibre expert had prepared a report based on the evidence that the prosecution has. The prosecution has looked at that that report and has handed it back to the defence. And now the defence wants time to consider their response. So earlier this afternoon, they had actually asked, uh, Mr. Jovic had flagged with Justice Hall, look, can we... You know, when when the DNA evidence is done, which they estimate is maybe two to three weeks away, that they would like a break, just a few days to consider this fibre evidence before we get stuck into the fibres. And so then that obviously flared back up late this afternoon where he's going, well, again, you know, I still want to be able to consider this because I haven't gone back to my expert with their response to see what they're going to say. And then he also flagged that this may also mean that they may not need as many witnesses to take the stand if they concede anything. But he said, you know, he doesn't want to say that that's going to happen. But, you know, then Justice Hall was of the mind, well, you know, if, if you know, we have a few days, but that would then, like, result in less time for the trial, then he said he figured it would be time well spent. Right. So it's really like, you know, the umpire blew the whistle. Yep. <laughs> we're going to have a team huddle here and we're going to muddle our way through this, which it sounds like they did. Yeah. Well, you mentioned last night's late sitting. Um, so last night you heard from the employee instructed by Carol Evans to carry out this DNA uh, nail swabs. Correct, yes. Um, Andrew Talbot was his name. Um, he's had a very interesting career path. He was, he was a forensic scientist at FSS for many, many years. He's now a postman in <laughs> Scotland. Um, he doesn't work at FSS anymore. No one does because it shut in 2012. Um, but he was uh, obviously still very uh, up to speed on what he'd done um, and, uh, and the results of what he'd done because um, he gave evidence for close to four hours about the actual tests done on the fingernails that we've all talked about so much um, for so many weeks, 40, 42, 46 and 48. And he talked us through it, walked us through it, exactly what he did. Um, uh, swabbed, uh, cut off the swabs, extracted water, chemicals, the whole the whole box and dice. Um, and, but what was interesting was he was also senior enough to then run, well, a, a colleague ran the actual tests and then he got this, the, what they call the EPGs, which are the results of those tests. And they're the initial indicators of what he found. So this is the low copy number run, the extra cycles. And when he got the EPGs back from 40 and 42, Mr. Talbot immediately said he could see it's what they called a full mixture. So full meant all the loci that they were tested for had alleles on it. And the mixture meant that there was the there was two people. Um, there was there was, there was evidence, clear evidence, immediate evidence of two a mixed profile, which means two people. One of them being Kira, and what the prosecution says, the other one being Mr. Edwards. And that was on the very first run of that 
of that first sample. And so they repeat the whole process again because that is part of the, the, the accredited process of doing this LCN test. You've got to run it twice just in case the first one was, was um, stuffed for whatever reason. They ran it again on both sets of fingernails and got the same results for 40 and 42. And, and, that, and that is the forensic breakthrough that we've that that Miss Barbara Gallo talked about in, in such dramatic terms all those weeks ago, um, and it's taken this long to get to that the man that, that did that test and initially saw those EPGs, um, which then led to um, all the other um, work done, including the the FSS work done on on Karakata. There was then extra exhibits sent to FSS in 2010, um, and then extra work done on the hair, and, and everything that followed came from that one test or those two tests, which he described in, in very, very uh, forensic detail last night. And those two tests, did they determine at that time that we had the X chromosome and the Y chromosome present, so that one was a male profile and one was female? Uh the, the, the mixture was there, but what Mr. Tolbert wasn't senior enough to do was to interpret was, that data. Was to actually yeah. interpret it. So he was he was senior enough to look at the peaks and 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 make an initial assessment, but then they went um, basically above his pay scale up to up to uh, Miss Evans first and foremost who oversaw the actual process but then the reporting scientist the man whose job it was to um, be in charge and was senior enough to give this that evidence or that analysis evidence in court is dr jonathan whittaker we've talked about before and we are yet to hear from so those epgs would have gone uh, um you know whisked their way um, from birmingham to to his um inbox and uh um, what we understand from the opening is it was, it was he who made that analysis and then he sent them to Laurie Webb in the January of 2019 who ran them through the database and got the, uh, and got the hit. And Tim, you told us earlier in the week that along with the Claremont exhibit sent to the UK, it was revealed that police had sent clues from another separate investigation mm. from WA and we had all wondered what that case would have been and today or last night, you found out that this was the case of um, missing schoolboy, Jared Ross. Indeed, Matt. Um, another shocking, tragic case that's haunted Western Australia for almost as long as Claremont has. Uh, Jared was a, a young boy who was on holiday with his family. Um, he was 11 years old. He was, uh, he, he was snatched, disappeared um, from, a, from a, a place unfamiliar with him. And then uh, Annie's family and his body was found uh, two weeks later in a pine plantation outside um, outside Perth. Um, and it's, that was a major case, remains a major case, remains a major open homicide. In fact, one of our West Australian um, colleagues, Kristen Shorten, did an amazing um, uh, investigation series of articles and a podcast on Gerard's case last year. Um, which uh, all our listeners will be able to search for and find quite easily on the West Australian um, uh, website. Um, And Gerard's case remains unsolved. In fact, the government last year gave, um, offered a $250,000 reward for anyone with information that might lead to Gerard's killer. And so this was, this was a, a big, a a big story for us late last night that the, so we found out 
that in 2008, when the police went over to the UK with these um, critical uh, Glennon and Claremont samples, they were also carrying some, some other exhibits um, from a case that was called Operation Ambrose, which was the code name given to uh, the hunt for Jared's killer at the time. And including in the, included in those were uh, similar exhibits to Claremont. I won't go into exactly what they are because of some communication from the police today that, that would uh, appreciate it. We wouldn't go into actual specifics because it is an open investigation mm-hmm. and I don't want to risk that. Yeah. Um, but they were taken to FSS. They were tested. Um, and uh, if they any, were, yeah, they we were felt, yeah. um, it was felt that that case was important enough to, to bring in the experts from the UK as well. So um, that, that's what they did. Um, and the, the results of those are with, with the police um, as, we, as we currently stand, because as, I, as I've said previously, it's an open investigation and detectives um, are as desperate to solve that one as, as any other um, open homicide. Yeah, that's right, because it was 1997, wasn't it? Mm. So around the same time yeah. and, yeah... Just very similar time frame, very similar yeah. um, And desperately time. sad, you know, for people who aren't from Western Australia, um, you know, you actually just can't imagine this. It's, you know, a young boy, he's on holidays with his family, he walks off to go to the comic shop to buy a comic, he's with his brother... And, um, you know, his brother was on rollerblades, I think, wasn't he? And yeah. his brother, you know, went ahead and and his younger brother, Jared just never showed yep, up. Just disappeared. And, of course, as you mentioned, Tim, his body was found those weeks later. Mm. So I guess if anyone is interested in finding out more about that case, the West did do an eight-part video documentary into that. And so you can find that and watch it at thewest.com.au if you are interested in seeing what happened with that case, which Tim mentioned is an open homicide investigation. So do we have any idea what will be happening tomorrow? I think um, based on what happened this afternoon with... um, the defence and and then in, uh, as a result the prosecution saying to defer to two witnesses that, that were going to be called um, I think basically Miss Barbara Gallo said that you know they're, they're anticipating that they'll read some evidence in from statements tomorrow and one of the other comments was that she would find whoever they can or <laughs> like basically to bill it and normally Fridays are a shorter day so it may be that we might get one witness maybe but um, I, I imagine that they're reading in some statements as well including the statement of one of the witnesses who was meant to be heard last night but we sort of found out later in the evening that the defence has decided that they weren't going to cross-examine her so there was no need, they wouldn't be contesting her evidence in any way or wasn't any issues with her evidence, they were accepting that. So therefore we expect at least her statement will be read in. Um, that's another forensic scientist from FSS who was involved in the testing of the exhibits. And who else? We're still not sure, but I, I have a feeling it's more of those sort of witnesses, more scientists. Yeah, yeah I think I think it is more mostly FSS scientists who were involved in the process who's... Um um, actions aren't um, seen as uh, controversial enough to be able to, 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 to have to be cross-examined, basically. So mm. um, as we heard from some of the victim families and, and other things, statements can be read in, so their, their evidence becomes evidence. Um, it's heard in open court, um, but it's a much um, quicker um, process. Um, and then after that next week, um, we, we are really in the dark because we're not sure um, whether Senior Sergeant Payton and um, Jim Stanbury, who is um, 
was the head of the macro investigation for many years, so he would have been a hugely um, significant witness because he would have been certainly the most senior macro officer we'd heard from so far. It was him that travelled to London with Laurie Webb to take the fingernails over. I mean, his his, his knowledge of this case would probably be bigger and, and better um, than anyone's, so we were all very interested to hear what he was about to say or have to say. That evidence has now been deferred, as we've discussed, because Mr. Jovic says he's simply not ready to cross-examine um, those witnesses on the, the fibre portion of the evidence. So whether that will go ahead um, sooner or later, um, we're, we're yet to um, we're yet to hear. But um, we'll be here when it happens. Yeah, it's been a really quite unusual week, hasn't it? All up, you know, lots of twists and turns yeah. and really unexpected things happening. Yeah, I just felt today we just sort of got a little bit more insight into, I, I think, how both sides are sort of dealing with all this very, very technical, laborious evidence. And yeah, it was just interesting today that I thought today, like in terms of like we've been listening to it and it's been very dry. And then today we're like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Everybody sat up and... yeah open their eyes. <laughs> well, thank you both for your work today. Day 50 tomorrow. Thanks for all your work today, both of you. Join us tomorrow when we wrap up week 11 of Claremont in Conversation with myself, Tim and Alison Fan. Chat then. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont The Trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.